Strengths Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. It's episode 51, Monday, May 15th. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, insight, and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joined today by Jason Cooper, research analyst. Welcome. Hey, Danny. Todd Voigt, chief investment strategist. Welcome to you. Hi, Danny. Well, why don't we get uh, started with upcoming economic data? We like to be forward-looking in this podcast. So today we got Credit card spending, grease for the economic engine, very important, especially coming off that senior bank loan credit survey last week, and and I think a lot of eyes are on that. We'll get into that a little later. Tuesday, Wednesday, we got housing information. This is, you know, again, a housing indicator week, and that's been trending down all of 2022. Small uptick recently, where we got a, you know, 1.4 million housing starts recently. Thursday, we got leading economic indicators declined four and a half percent over the previous six months. There's a rule of thumb declines three and a half percent over the last six months annualized. You're pretty much heading into recession. It's a good, reliable indicator. In my opinion, the components of it include the, the you know the stock market and and you know leading credit index, and so forth. So, very important to watch. And then we got jobless claims and initial claims as usual. Why don't we head right into strengths and you can kick it off, Jason? Sounds good. So maybe we'll skip over the Nasdaqs. I feel like we've talked about that exhaustively on, on the podcast. But one area where we haven't talked about as much, I'd say, is the international developed area. And when you look at share price returns for these indices, um, you know, on a year-to-date basis, you're seeing the DAX up, Spain's index, the French index. They're all up, you know low double-digit percentages, which might have caught a lot of uh, investors by surprise given the more muted performance of the S&P 500 and the S&P equal-weighted index, which is up nominally, maybe a couple percent. When we're listening to some of these earnings calls, we're hearing that demand for construction equipment there is actually up pretty significantly on a year-over-year basis. The factories are starting to reopen. Remember last uh, winter, we had a bit of a problem. Natural gas was so expensive, it was basically prohibitively expensive for them to produce things there. And as a result, they had to shut in a lot of their industrial production. But now we're seeing those factories reopen as the cost of energy is renormalized. And as a result, we were expecting earnings to be down mid-single digits. I think they were actually up about 3% on a year-over-year basis. That's a a pretty significant surprise and actually stronger than what we're seeing domestically. The Nikkei is up 12% year-to-date. I mean, that's a low valuation market, and you're seeing strength in those those markets, in the emerging markets, I think. Um, We'll talk about that a little more in opportunities. Something that's kind of interesting about the Nikkei is those are companies that have historically traded at pretty significant discounts to maybe the S&P 500 from a valuation perspective. But a couple of years ago, you had Abenomics with Shinzo Abe, who was subsequently actually assassinated. He was uh, he, he led Japan. And one of the things that he tried to implement was more friendly shareholder returns. So if you look at a balance sheet for a Japanese company, they're bloated with cash, which a lot of times it decreases the returns to shareholders, and it's almost unnecessarily conservative. But heading into a period of maybe economic weakness, having that cushion provides them with a lot of optionality, and it seems like it's driving a re-rating higher. Moreover, you saw the yen kind of collapse last year, but we have a new Bank of Japan governor, Ueda. He's coming in there, and there's the expectation that he's going to have a little bit stricter monetary policy, and that the yen it won't collapse maybe 30%. Hopefully it'll stabilize. And from a valuation slash currency re-rating perspective, that's really opened the floodgates to moving some capital 
overseas to Japan. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was looking for is there's that strength in the economy, that global strength and strength aspect. There's an opportunity component to that that we'll talk about in a second. Weaknesses, commodities have been trading weak. Great for consumer staple companies because that's an input cost to them. And they've been also able to raise their prices, which has made consumer staples really attractive. But the weakness in general is is more market related in my opinion. So you've got this narrow breadth in the market, and I know you know we've all talked about that, and it's all over the place. But the Nasdaq up 17% year to date. You mentioned that the S&P equal weight is up 1%. S&P market weight, the the S&P index that most look at, is up seven plus percent year to date. Small caps are getting beat up pretty bad. Last week, we saw on a spread between the S&P 500 and small caps, they revisited the relative low last seen during, I think, the COVID sell-off. So they're really underperforming. You can talk about that as a weakness in the current market, but as an opportunity going forward. Exactly. And you know, and one thing I want to add to that, in the idea of the portfolio construction process, you've got these pockets of weakness and, and low valuation, energy, small caps in the past international. What's the weakness? You know, the, the weakness is in prices and valuation. Later on, present opportunities. But the point is, some two, one of two things going to happen. Either large caps... You know, S&P market weight and NASDAQ are going to stay where they're at and small caps catch up or the reverse. Large caps are going to falter. You, you mentioned that spread is, is, is wide. What the answer is to that is look to valuation. And the valuation on NASDAQ and S&P market weight are well above average and some would say exceptionally high. So the answer is you're probably going to get the weakness in the large caps and the, and the NASDAQ uh, to f- get closer in line with the S&P equal weight and small small caps. The weakness in this context is in the market. You certainly had weakness in regional banks, of course, and Bitcoin is a functional liquidity. And with the regional banks, you know, this, this is a, an industry that has been, don't want to accuse of exaggerating or something, but it's down like 40%. It, those things have been obliterated and they were still down another 5% last week. There's just no let up from a selling perspective. You know, and I'm going to stay on this portfolio construction theme, and that is that if you you have a you know uh, a fund that has 150 stocks in it, your risk is not risk of total loss necessarily; it's risk of volatility. So take advantage of the vol. There's a point here where you can start averaging into that into the financials. The same with energy. So we seen energy get beat up in small caps, but that's a short term issue. Okay, so. You know, arbitrary number, 100 goes to 90, 90 goes back to 110. You're still up 10%. The important point is, what's the end point? You know, is it the end of the year, 20 years from now, from a financial planning perspective? You're still going to get, you know, returns. And so you tilt the portfolio toward those weaker areas. You You might not get the timing right initially, but you'll get it right longer term, which is most people's objectives. Um, We'll talk about the debt issue later and threats. But let me just finish off with uh, the weaknesses there and then go right into opportunities. Opportunities, we're kind of blending weaknesses into opportunities, but it includes mid caps, small caps, which are oversold. You know, you've got the tech, healthcare, and staples rolling into energy, 
small caps, and financials. Those look to be the opportunities. The here and now might be yields, but we need another down leg in that market. You know, again, as in the, you know, coming from weaknesses, you get a third down leg in the market. I consider June and September to be the first two down legs, the third down leg. So you let that happen. You got the right portfolio construction, and then you start moving and overweighting these areas. We manage the security selection portfolios, which has, you know, there are small cap names, there are mid cap names. And you look at the headline indices and you see them getting hit and you hear things like, well, these companies are lower quality, have worse balance sheets, increased cyclicality from an earnings perspective. And it kind of, I would say, draws fear from an investor perspective. But when you take the time and you drill down, you can find tremendous business models down capitalization where an astute investor that actually spends the time going over the financial statements, listening to the earnings calls, understanding what's going to drive that business on a go-forward basis, there are a lot of opportunities to get really excited about there. Right. Those models, they're equity income, large cap, all cap, small cap, individual equities, and you've got a lot of control to target those types of companies, which I think is is an advantage. Funds, on the other hand, you know, you, you cover a lot of broader areas, and the goal is to mitigate the volatility. While you're searching for those opportunities, there's a difference between volatility and returns. And so in the, in the context of the portfolio, you, you want to mitigate the volatility. And, and, and you do that in a defensive way now to, to then start tilting the portfolio and concentrating a little bit and taking advantage of the opportunities as we were talking about. And you can do that either in individual equities, funds, or fixed income. Returns on the other, that's going to come after that third down leg. People want returns. You know, after going through a thrashing in the markets, you want to take advantage of it, and in, in the in those areas that take advantage of are the ones you were just talking about. We we talk about this all the time, and we have active allocations for our clients. But these money market mutual funds, with a recent Fed hike, they're still yielding five percent. And we saw Stan Druckenmiller, uh, who I think is probably one of the best investors ever. He he's one of the he he, he basically helped George Soros break the Bank of England. He now has his own family office. He runs billions of dollars for himself. You can be successful and still not be right about a lot of things. But the way he's characterizing this is that there aren't a lot of attractive opportunities from a valuation perspective in the market here and now based on what he thinks is going ha- to happen from an economic perspective. But if you can get paid to wait and then see a fat pitch and swing at it knowing that you're going to hit it, well, heck, collect that 5% coupon. Why not? Keep rolling and move right into threats. Todd, you've been talking a lot about inflation expectations becoming unanchored. You've been guiding the team, what should we watch for? And one of the things you've clued us into is this University of Michigan inflation expectations. And there's two two readings. There's near-term one year, and then there's longer-term, which is more five-year. And we saw the five-year reading rise from 3 to 3.2%. So at a time where the, the levels of inflation from a PPI, CPI, PCE, they're all trending down, maybe more slowly than the Fed would like, but they are trending down. The one area that's diverging is inflation expectations. You know, that's a great point. So that longer term, five-year inflation expectations, 3 to 3.2, but short term went from 2.9 to 3.6 and then had a big jump from 3.6 to 4.6 
that's consumer expectations of inflation in the near term. Now, smarter people than I will focus on the five-year longer-term inflation expectations. Those tend to range between four and five. They dipped recently, meaning 2013, 14, 15, and then dropped in the pandemic to to a low number. Now it's rising back to that 3.2. The shorter-term inflation expectations are jumping. And that shorter term, you know, just the, the, the law of averages is going to bring up the average long term to that more normal area. So four, six, and then this month was 4.5. I was looking for, is this trend going to reverse or is it going to continue to rise? Because the Fed's going to be looking at that and saying, are inflation expectations becoming unanchored? Now, like you have depression era people that scrounge and save. You got inflation era people like myself that know what it's like when you got to go to the grocery store. Your mom's going to the grocery store because next week prices are going up. You come out of that period and you know how severe that can be. People are feeling that now, in the, especially in the food area and the consumers, you know, we're talking about consumer staples and food prices rising. And, and they have that power to raise prices. So that is the concern is the near-term inflation expectations rising and inflation becoming unanchored. The long term is effectively the short term accumulating. Right. So when you see the longer term inflation expectations, this 3.2% handle, it's the highest level that we've seen in quite a long time, certainly of this cycle. So even though inflation is coming down, inflation expectations are still moving towards becoming unanchored. And it's not unanchored from a historic perspective. We were talking earlier about how in the 1990s, it wasn't uncommon to have inflation expectations closer to three, three and a half percent. But we went through a period of just below trend inflation between 2009 and 2020. And the question is, does inflation, go, you know, does it go back to a three percent range like it was in the 90s? And what does it mean for stocks? What does it mean for bonds? While you said the broader inflation indices are coming down, which is correct. It's, it, that's a good thing. And it's beneficial to bonds, actually. And the equity area that takes you back to those opportunities in energy, commodity sectors, and then, you know, you got the, the financials and small caps. But uh, the, what does it mean for the equity markets and the portfolios as a whole? And what does it mean for the Fed? The market's now discounting, I think, four rate cuts by January 9 by the end of 2024. Is the Fed going to follow market expectations when you're starting to have inflation expectations trend higher? One thing we always talk about is the wage price spiral, meaning individuals see the price level trending higher. You still have a tight labor market. They demand higher wages. You have higher wages. You have more nominal dollars to spend, and it kind of locks the inflation into the system. Right. And if that happens... It's an inflationary era. So these expectations are very important when we think about what will inflation be over the next decade. Yeah, and does it spread out to other sectors and, and other parts of the economy? Real quick, can't get out of threats without talking about the debt ceiling issue. I'll give you my quick take on it. It's short term. It'll probably get resolved 
and we'll be moving on and talk and forget about it in six months kind of thing. They'll most likely defer that decision and get an extension. But this is all noise, and, 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 I, and I emphasize again, keep an eye on the end point. What's, you know, what's the end point? You know, seasoned investors don't get fixated on short-term you know, news issues and, and the media hype around something. Yeah, it's a very important issue. You know, it, it, they're working on is get resolved. You know, the expectation is it'll probably get resolved. But it, you know, although the default risk on Treasuries is higher than it was in 2011, you know, let's assume you know it gets it doesn't get resolved. Then you got a different complexion to the market, what's going on. But the emphasis is on that diversified portfolio because something in that portfolio, whether it's consumer staples or energy or financials or tech, is going to pick up the slack and mitigate the volatility. So right now it's a it's a matter of controlling the volatility and opportunities will come down the road, you know, sometime soon here. Let's recap headline strength. International developed is catching a bid. Headline weakness. The commodities continue to languish and the economy uh, is deteriorating. Headline opportunity. I like the idea of getting paid to wait for a fat pitch. And yeah. headline threat. Boy, that baseball. Now you could get me started on a long <laughs> discussion there. So headline threat is probably inflation expectations, and, and I won't even mention the debt ceiling right now. Episode 51, Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. Jason Cooper, Research Analyst. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. Todd Boyd, Chief Investment Strategist. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Annex Wealth Management LLC is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.